We've been working our way through the, a book of the New Testament, uh, the letter to the Romans. Remember, it was written by Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons. And he's been writing to this church in Rome uh, to explain to them the depth and the fullness of the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Uh, and the good news is good news because what Paul has been telling us is that righteousness comes through faith. We are justified freely by God's grace and His mercy through faith in what Christ has done. If you're just joining us, it's important for us to understand what those words mean, justification and righteousness. Paul's been using it a lot, so just to refresh it. Now remember, justification is language that comes from the courtroom, where God, as the, the just and righteous judge, uh, is making a, a declaration about sinners who've placed their faith in Jesus. And his declaration is, through faith in Christ, he's justifying us. Making us, you can remember it in this way, it's just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd had always fulfilled the law. This is good news. Because to... to that God is declaring us righteous, meaning we are in a right relationship with Him. Right relationship with our God and right relationship with His law. How can that be possible if we are lawbreakers? It's because of God's grace and mercy that He would take on flesh, living as the perfect man. And so the record that Jesus accrued, living perfectly, has now been credited to us, and we are righteous, not because of anything we've done, because of the righteousness of God that has been given to us in faith. This is this gospel, this good news, that Paul is proclaiming to the church in Rome and the church in Elizabeth City. And uh, this, as we're moving on into chapter 5 this week, uh, what Paul wants to make sure that those who are hearing the good news of this message uh, understand is that we can have confident assurance that we will escape the wrath of God. In light of the fact that this justification comes by faith, in Paul's language, that confident assurance is hope. And we're going to see this morning why Paul says that those who have been uh, justified by faith can have hope that we will be saved on the day of God's wrath. So, if you would, look with me in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, And kids, there's uh, some language in here in verse 5 that talks about God's love being poured out on us. So if you want to draw a picture this morning, so you can draw a picture of that. How could you draw a picture of God pouring love into the heart of of His people? Um, I'll have an illustration related to that, but show me what you come up with after the service. So, let's follow along. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you're, following, if you're in uh, one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 942. So let's hear from the Word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. God, we thank You that uh, the Gospel is true. That it is Your power to save and redeem sinners and that justification comes by faith. We pray this morning as we continue to understand more and more the implications and the blessings that come from justification that You would give us as Your people a deep and abiding hope and confidence in the sufficiency of what Jesus has done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hope. Sometimes we use that word, oftentimes we use that word in a way that's different from how the Scriptures use it. You can say, well, I hope it won't rain at the next picnic. Or I hope we'll have the big water slide. You don't really know if that's going to happen or not, and you're hoping it might be. Or going to school this next week. I remember when I was in high school, the best day of the week for lunch was fried chicken day. We're hoping, man, I really hope they have enough left when my class gets released for lunch. I'm hoping that I will get some of the fried chicken on chicken day. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I really hope it will be. There's no confidence there. It's just a deep longing. But the hope that Paul is talking about here, and when the Scriptures speak of hope, it's not an empty longing or a, a really strong desire. It is deep confidence assurance that what you are hoping in will come to pass. And it is true. And what Paul is saying, for those who may question and wonder, well, God has declared me justified. He's declared me righteous in His sight now, but could He change His mind? How do I know that that declaration will last And on the day of God's judgment, I will escape His wrath, that I will be saved from the wrath of God. Paul says we can have hope in that salvation. We can have hope in that deliverance. Let's look and see that we can have this confident assurance. The first thing that Paul points us to is that in light of this justification that is ours, we can have hope because of the new relationship that we have with God. You can have hope in light of the new relationship that we have with God. Notice there in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. 
we have peace with God. Do you realize how incredible this news is? That the relationship has changed? Remember before what Paul has already told us. We didn't want to have anything to do with God. We weren't righteous. We weren't good. He had revealed himself and communicated his, his existence in the world and even in our hearts. But we suppress that truth. We don't want God to rule over us. We want to be the king. And so we committed high treason against our good and gracious creator. We wanted to rule and lead our lives the way that we wanted to. We threw him off. He was our enemy, not our king. And here, what Paul is telling us is that now we have peace with God. This isn't so much talking about our heart posture towards God, although that does change. Those who didn't desire God before, now through the redeeming work of Christ and the Spirit's work in our hearts, we do delight in our God. We do want to follow and seek Him, and He's changing us. But what this is talking about is the change in relationship, is God's posture towards us. He was our enemy. That was His focus, his response to our rebellion. We were acting as enemies and he was treating us as enemies. What Paul is saying here is in light of the fact that we've been justified by faith, this enmity that God has with us has been removed. It's been taken away. Now you have peace with God. At times in our nation's history, our government has made peace treaties with different groups. One was made in Fort Laramie with the Sioux Indian tribes in the Dakotas. Uh, What they were told was that after years of fighting that the U.S. government was going to give them their ancestral lands and they would be able to roam and continue to do their hunting and gathering. So they entered into this peace treaty at Fort Laramie Uh, in 1868. And the U.S. government and the army was to protect those lands from other Americans coming in and trying to take stuff from the Sioux. And they did that until gold was discovered in the Black Hills. And then with gold in the Black Hills, seeing that the benefits of keeping this treaty, uh, there was more uh, cost to the U.S. and others to maintain it, And so they stopped protecting the Sioux from those who were coming in. This treaty was abandoned. The the peace that was there was cast aside because they saw it was too costly to maintain what they had promised. This peace that we have, is it the same way? Is our God going to look upon us at some point in time and say, you know what? This is just too costly. You've you've messed up one too many times. And now I'm changing. And I know that I told you that I declared you right before me. I know that I told you that we were at peace and I was no longer your enemies. But things have changed in light of what you have done. And now my posture again is one of aggression toward you. No. No, we have a faithful God. And the peace that we have with Him is abiding. It's lasting. He will never go back on this treaty. This relationship 
that God's justified people have with Him will not change. The peace that we have is abiding. It's not just a ceasefire. It's not just that we're stopping battling. It's a complete change in the, in the nature, the depth of the relationship. Notice how Paul describes this relationship as he continues to go on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice, it's not through what we have done. Paul's already reiterating this. Where does the peace come? The peace comes through Jesus. Not you, not me. Where does the access into this grace come? It comes through Jesus. That language there is talking about access to be able to come into the presence of of royalty, someone of great and high status. And what Paul is saying is in light of this peace, the relationship has so been changed that God isn't just withholding fire and bullets and attack from you, but the nature of the relationship that we have is one that is in in a state that is established in grace and love and mercy. We abide in that relationship now, in the loving, gracious, kind presence of our God. Through what Jesus has done, we have obtained access, not through what we have done, but by faith, into this grace, and it's in that grace that we stand. We abide in that relationship. That is the nature of how we relate to our God now. And we can have hope. Notice, Paul says, in light of that new relationship, what that should bring in our hearts is confident assurance that we will not be God's enemies anymore. Notice the the language that he uses there. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Remember, hope isn't uh, a wishful thinking, but it's confident assurance. Hope of the glory of God. You remember that language that came up before? Paul says that every human has fallen short of God's glory. Remember, as we were created, when God made Adam and Eve, He created and made humanity in His image. We were to reflect His goodness and His character in the world, His glory. But we rejected that. Adam fell, we fell in Him. And now, that image that we are created in is marred. And we are no longer living in a way that reflects God's intentions and His purposes for us. And we've we, we rebel against showing his, uh, his glory. But the hope that we have here is that in light of this new relationship, God is going to restore in us what we lost. We can have hope of the glory of God in our lives, in our hearts, that we will be remade and recreated in the image of Christ. What is God's posture towards enemies? Eternal destruction and wrath. What is His posture towards those who now have a new relationship of peace with Him? It's restoration. It's renewal. In light of this new relationship that you have because you have been justified, declared righteous by your God through faith, you can be confident that on the day of judgment, 
we will be completely remade and restored in the image of our God. This is, this is good news. What this means is that the, the way that you live this week, you're not on some sort of balance where God's just watching to see, is He going to step over this week? How's she going to respond? You know, she's been struggling with that sin for an awful lot. I really thought she had learned that lesson, but it doesn't seem like it. Maybe I need to, to shift over and move and renege on a promise of peace and approach again with an attitude and a relation of enmity. Paul says no. Because remember, your relationship with God is not based on your works. Your relationship with God is not based on your performance. This peace has been secured. This state and relationship of established grace and mercy and love is yours because of what Jesus has done. It's through your Lord Jesus. It's through Christ, Paul says over and over and over again. That should give you and me great hope, great confidence that this relationship This escape of God's just wrath poured out on His rebellious enemies that we will escape it because it's based on what Christ has done and not what you and I have done or what we failed to do this week. This is really important for us to grasp and understand that the hope that we have is rooted and grounded in what Christ has done. And that that brings about this new relationship. Because we need to have this hope. We need to have this confidence that this is how God relates to us. Because sometimes the experiences and the circumstances that we face may cause us to question whether God is still relating to us in that way. One of the particular circumstances and situations that might bring that up is suffering and trials. Does suffering and trials in the life of a believer, should that undermine our hope and our confidence? Does it mean that God has no longer relating to us in a a relationship of peace and grace, but is He treating us like enemies again? Paul says no. Look, look at how he goes forth. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in our suffering. Is Paul in his right mind here? Why in the world would we rejoice in our suffering? The reason is because Paul says our hope is not undermined through suffering, but in fact it strengthens and deepens our hope. Notice what he says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The sufferings are accomplishing something. They're not just coming about randomly and by chance. Remember, the God that Paul is proclaiming, the God of the Scriptures, is the sovereign one. Everything happens according to His purpose and His intentions. Nothing is an accident in your life. The sufferings that you are facing, He is bringing because you're His enemy, child of God, 
No. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Notice that's where Paul goes, right? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, what Paul is telling us is that when we experience suffering, what we should do is, is look at our lives and see and recognize what God is doing through these trials, the sufferings, the difficulty that we're facing. Because he's at work doing something. The, the sufferings are being brought to produce endurance. This endurance produces character. And that character produces a greater confident assurance that we have and will escape God's wrath. Why? How could we rejoice in suffering? Well, how could that produce hope? Think about if you've ever uh, been in a physical training kind of a relationship with somebody, whether it's at the Y or you had a, a coach who, after a long summer of not uh, working on your sport, the, the first week of practice is grueling. Where you were the year before, you found you've lost it all. Or maybe you've come into a, a trainer and they want to see what you can do and you can barely get your chin up only if you're standing on a box to make your, your pull-up. And they ask you if you can run some laps. And you go and you start making it around the track. And by the time you get into the first corner, you're huffing and puffing and you can't make it. But after two, three months of hard, intense training that at times you call suffering and so grueling, you look back and all of a sudden you're doing 10, 15 pull-ups. You can make it multiple times around the track and feel that you still have your breath. You're able to control the soccer ball and get it in that upper corner where before you were bouncing it off of the, the goalpost or sending it off into the, the next field. And you look back and you think about all of those, those uh, exercises that your trainer had you to do or uh, those uh, scenarios that your coach had you run through. And although they were hard at the time, you look back and you're grateful for them. Because now you see what they've produced in you and where you are. And it gives you hope that coming up for the rest of the season, I can continue to improve as they invest in me, as they pour into me. That's what Paul's getting at here. The, what is being produced in you through the suffering flows out of God's love for you. The work He is doing in your life. He's bringing these sufferings into your life, not because He's your enemy again. He's bringing them into your life because of His love and what He wants to produce in you to continue to change you and give you greater confidence in who He is and the work that He's doing in your life. Notice the language that He uses there. This hope will not put us to shame. This confident assurance. Even in the face of the sufferings, the sufferings produce this greater hope. And this isn't a hope that when you get there on the day of judgment, you're going to stand before God and then find out that that hope was foolish. And He's going to send you to eternal destruction and judgment in hell. No. The confidence that we have here is that this hope will not put us to shame, Paul tells us in verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Poured His love into us. I don't know if you've ever been to the splash pad 
up here behind the sonic. There's all sorts of water activities and stuff you can do there. But one in particular is there's this giant bucket. And the bucket's on a hinge. And water keeps getting poured into this bucket and poured into this bucket and poured into this bucket until it gets to the brim. And at that point, it gets off balance and it starts tottering and teetering back and forth and back and forth until all of the water that's been poured into this bucket dumps out onto the kids below. And I took Harris up there and he slowly, over the course of our time, ventured out to where he could finally be bold enough and brave enough to have the bucket be poured on him and it about knocked him to the ground overwhelmed by the amount of water that was dumped out of this bucket onto him. And that was a lot for a kid who doesn't like to get his face wet. <laughs> Hopefully that's a picture for you of the overwhelming nature of the love that your God has for you. And He is dumping and pouring it into your heart so that you will recognize and understand the depth of the love that He has for you that is not grounded or rooted in anything you have done. But it's because He loves you. This overwhelming love is being poured into your heart and in your life. Do you recognize that? Do you believe that? That God loves you? Not just a little bit of love, but a lot of bit of love. In fact, the, the way that Jesus describes the love that the Father has for His children, He says, as, as much as to the same extent of the way that the Father loves the Son is how He loves His children. Do you believe that? That the love that our Heavenly Father has for Jesus, His Son, is the same extent and quality of the love that He has for you in Christ. And this is not change based on what you do or how you perform tomorrow or the next day or in six years. God is seeking to remind and comfort His people in this great and deep hope of this love that He has for us, rooted in this new relationship that should be something that we remember and are reminded of when we're going through hard and difficult things, that God's posture towards you is always one of love when you are found in Christ. Before it was enemy. That is not true of you anymore. The suffering comes out of love. The discipline comes out of love. The trials, the persecution comes out of love and the work that He is doing in you. You may sit there and wonder though, how can I know? How can I know that He loves me? This is incredible news. Can I be sure of it? Notice, as Paul continues to go on, that this hope is grounded and flows out of this abundant love of our God. God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can you know God loves you? How can, you, how can I be sure God loves me? You know what I did last night? You know what thoughts continue to, to go through my mind and my heart? Where, where my mind goes, even when I'm reading His Word or when I'm trying to pray, why would He love a sinner like me? Because remember, it's not based on what you've done at all. It's based on Jesus. And notice what Paul says. When did Jesus die for you? While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. We are weak. We have no ability to do anything to bring about our redemption. We are weak. We cannot benefit God in the least through any of our efforts. We are ungodly. We are sinners. We are His enemies. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. God didn't look into the future and foresee your faith or your righteousness or good works that you might do and then decide, I'm going to give my life for that person based on foreseen faith in the future or some works that they might do and I see how they will respond. Where does it come from? It comes from His love. It's purely based in His love. Nothing we have done. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. Here, Paul's not trying to contrast the difference between a righteous or a good person. He's just saying that knowing the human heart, we have a hard time giving up our lives for anybody. If it was going to be somebody, it would probably need to be a good and righteous person. Because who gives their lives up for somebody who's wicked and evil? Uh, ben Corney was telling me about a training that he went to out in California with some rescue swimmers. And they got called out to go on a rescue uh, for this guy who was stranded in his boat. And the waves were just killing this boat over and over again. He'd sent out his distress signal. And so they send down these, uh, this new rescue swimmer to go in and rescue this guy out of the boat. They haul him up and they bring him into the, the helicopter. And the guy's mad. He's angry. Why in the world would somebody respond like that when they've been saved? From sure death left that way. Well, this is the reason. The guy had stolen that boat. And the fact that he got saved also meant he was going to jail. And he was going to be punished. Now you begin to think about that. What if that swimmer had died in the process of saving that guy? What would your reaction and your thought be? Man, what a waste. What a waste that his life was given for this thief. But if you found out, oh, who was stranded on the boat was a guy who had founded like 8,000 orphanages and, and cared for puppies and kittens and, and hamsters all through his, his home. Then you're like, whoa, I really hate we had to lose that swimmer, but look at who we have saved that will be a blessing to humanity. Notice what Paul says. You are the thief on the boat. You have robbed Him of the glory that He deserves. You've rebelled against Him. And in that, He did not reluctantly come, 
But at the right time, at the precise time, when you were a sinner and a rebel, God gave His Son to die for you. And if He would give His Son to die for you while you were a sinner, how much more confident and assured can you be that He will save and redeem you now that He has been brought back to life? That's where Paul goes. It's the argument from the, the, the lesser to the, to the greater. Since therefore we've now been justified for it by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we have this new relationship, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice where Paul goes again. Back to Jesus. Back to this relationship that comes not through anything you've done, but through what Christ has done. How can you know that when God declares you justified by faith, you will escape His wrath and His punishment at the end? Because of Christ. It's because of the new relationship He has secured for you. That you are now at peace with God. It, it's... A, a, a hope and a confidence that should endure and grow even in the, the midst of the hard and difficult things because we're assured of the love that our God has for you. Hear and know that this morning. If you are one who has trusted and placed your faith in Jesus, God loves you. Even after last week? Yep. Even after what I did when I was 18? Yeah. What if something changes in 20, 30, 50 years? Will his posture change? No. Because it's not based on you. It's based on what Jesus has done. And He has secured your salvation and your peace with God. Let's pray. God, we thank You that the Gospel is true. We thank You that we can believe and know that the peace we have with You will never end because it's based on Christ and His work for us. Uh, we pray that You would continue to assure us more deeply of Your love, of the peace that we have, and that we would have a confident assurance in Christ and His work for us. Amen.